God's plan is going to be fine. You are not big enough to mess yeah. up God's right. plan. Yeah, that's good. Equation. The process of equating one thing with another. What you just heard is a sneak peek into this week's conversation with Tristan Williford on God and math. We talk about the way God is the master mathematician and how everything has a pattern to line out for his will. This is a good one, so let's get right to it. This is The Reckless Pursuit, a podcast crafted and created to dive deep into what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in a modern day world. We span topics across the board to seek out truth and to gain a deeper understanding of one another, to find common ground and answers to life's hardest questions. We all have a story and a struggle, a calling and a conviction. Together, let's take a hard look at ourselves and effort to view what others see so we can be the best reflection of Christ possible. I'm Cody. And I'm Elaine. Now, let's get reckless. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 27. Today, Elaine and I are sitting here with a good friend of ours, Tristan Williford. Uh, I have had the uh, misfortune of knowing, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the fortune of knowing Tristan for, since I was in kindergarten, I mm-hmm. guess, whenever mm-hmm. uh, his brother and I actually met and ended up hating each other's guts for a whole year. But it ended up coming to pass that we were pretty much inseparable after that so i was always over there hanging out with them and tristan's the older brother so he kind of got to keep justin and i in line i guess maybe a little bit i don't know if that's really how that went down but um and then i stole you yes exactly because (laughs) justin moved away so justin if you're listening to this you know come back he's my friend now (laughs) (laughs) um and then uh tristan and i actually ended up serving together as pastoral staff uh Mm -hmm at a local church, and um, I got to know his lovely wife, Melissa, and his son, Cole, and you're soon to be a father of a second. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Thank you. It's exciting. And, uh, yeah, so I guess, like, the four of us have actually, like, got to spend quite a bit of time getting to know each other and hanging out, and it's been awesome having friends. So, uh, and thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. And so today we are going to talk about an interesting topic, something that Tristan and I have touched base on a little bit, and I know that he has a passion for, uh, and I believe you have a degree in math, I do. right? Yes, I have a degree in mathematics from yes. a real college. That's crazy. Because um, I am not a math person at all. I'm terrible with numbers. I don't understand it at all. But I don't believe there are people that aren't math people. There are simply people who... Uh, haven't been taught enough to to understand how great it is. That's probably true because I was homeschooled and I had to try to teach myself math, and math is just not something you it, can. It can be teach difficult. Yourself. It can be I'm difficult. I'm not good at algebra. That's what always got me. I'm good mm-hmm. at geometry, but not algebra. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we're talking about God and math. We're talking about uh, the similarities and how one points to another today, and we'll probably get off topic a little bit, but that's okay because that's the fun of it. So we're going to jump right into this with just an introduction. Tristan, I'm just going to let you share a little bit about yourself, how you got into mathematics in the first place, um, why you love math when most people hate it, you know, that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, so I uh, really, I, w- I was always pretty good at math, but when I decided I really enjoyed it uh, was about 10th grade. I think my Algebra 2 class was the first time I was just like, 
this is really fun. Uh, I always loved the idea of being handed a problem that actually had a solution, uh, as opposed to, to other fields where uh, there's, you know, the solution is whatever argument you can create, or the solution is kind of vague and different by person. Or, But uh, in mathematics, there is usually one right answer, and I really liked that, and I liked the process of, of coming to that answer. Uh, and I... I went off to college to study uh, math and learned that uh, I didn't know any math because we don't actually <laughs> teach uh, what I now consider math in uh, in high school. Uh, if you know, there's a point at some point in high school where you stop thinking of elementary school math as math. You're like, no, that's that's arithmetic. That's not math. Right. Uh, that's how I feel about high school math. Like, no, you're doing algebra. You're not doing math. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and the reason is, uh, math is really a creative field. Hmm. Uh, we think we think of math as like a, a rigid and, and logical field, but that's not really what it is. A big part of what I had to do at college was more creative writing and outside the box kind of thinking, mm -hmm. and uh, trying to come up with, you know solutions with with creative ideas and uh i guess what what the simplest way i can put it is the math that we teach at the high school level uh is like grammar and you have to know all the grammar rules before you can go write a great story mm -hmm. and and so all of the math that most people ever learn is the grammar part that kind of boredom or bogged them down right and it was only the true grammar Nazis like myself who uh, who ever got to, whoever understood enough that they could start writing in this this beautiful language, yeah. and uh, and that's really what math is is it's creative and it's it's designing uh, new new systems and coming up with new problems to uh, things nobody's ever found before. Right. So I found it interesting because you and I were talking a little while back about mm -hmm. just like math and God and let's just kind of dive right into that topic. So at what point did you realize like, Hey, math and God are similar? Like, or, or how does that, how do they correlate to you? Sure. Um, I think the thing that I relate most with math and God is that idea of design. Right. Um, uh, and the first time that struck me, I was in high school and a teacher brought in this video on, a, on something called fractals. And if you're not familiar with the concept, uh, fractals are basically like repeating patterns. Yeah. And they show up all the time in nature. So if you look at like a, a forest, there's a pattern to where the trees are. And that same pattern kind of gives you how, which trees are going to be thicker and which ones are going to be thinner. And that mm -hmm. same pattern on an individual tree tells you kind of where the branches are going to be and where the leaves on each branch are going to be, and where the veins in the leaf are going to be. And it's the same repeating oh, wow. pattern again and again and again. And uh, I'm listening to these guys talk about how, you know, with all of our engineering knowledge, we just can't create structures and, and systems that work as efficiently as these repeating patterns you see all the time in nature. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing that that, uh, that random chance could come up with such a profound an amazing system and i was just like this is this is what it means to 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 see god mm -hmm. 
Right. You know, this is this is where I, I see God the most is just in the brilliance of his design of our world. Just how balanced everything is and how uh very fragile but at the same time very durable it all is. Mm-hmm. You know, that that a little change like introducing a new species to an area can in some ways rock an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And in a hundred years it it has changed, but it's a new working system. Right. And uh, I just I just am amazed by that I that uh, that that complexity and that strength and that it can can work. You know, everything just runs and works, and the Earth is so so smooth. The the rules of the galaxy are just just incredible, mm-hmm. and and God designed all that. And that that's what like I said that's what it means to be a mathematician is to come up with the creative creative solutions you know we're we're discovering gravity uh and that's that's science is is discovering the world but math is creating a formula for gravity that would hold all these planets where i want them to be mm-hmm. that's what god did yeah so and, in a way like you literally see a parallel from like whenever genesis talks about you know god's plan god's you know ordained path for creation mm-hmm. You know, kind of in the same way of like, you know, the way science describes uh, creation is what we call creation. In mm-hmm. essence, God's master plan or His purpose um, is kind of what we call math. Yeah, God, God built it. That's that's the mathematics part. Is is the the designing and uh, you know leading into the engineering of actually like creating. I I love looking at uh, God's uh, how God's design. Uh, plays out in our history okay uh so so i'm a i'm a designer now i'm a software developer uh this is what i do is create new systems mm-hmm. one of the things that uh that i uh, work with is trying to make everything go as as smoothly and efficiently as possible uh there anywhere i have to add complexity is is kind of a um a disappointment Particular, anytime something can't just follow the flow, right? Like if I have to create a special case to solve this one problem, that's that's adding a whole lot of complexity, and I want everything to just follow the flow. And I think God did an incredible job designing the world to just flow, right? That everything just works, and uh, that's uh, really affected the way I, I read the Bible uh, with this idea that that it all just works. Uh, I believe in the supernatural for today. I believe in healings. I believe in uh, supernatural things. But I don't think they're common because I think they're God's special cases. Right. Uh, I think, you know, we have healings, but most of the time our bodies heal because mm-hmm. God designed them that yeah. way. Right, that's the system. In uh, yeah, and, and it is God's miraculous design when we just get over a cult. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, and... Uh, and I believe the same about uh, bigger miracles. Uh, I, I kind of have, I don't believe, uh, like one of the ones I use a lot is the, the story of uh, Paul and Silas when they're in the prison in Philippi and uh, the earthquake destroys the prison. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in a supernatural event that, uh, you know, God reached down and touched the earth in that moment and caused an earthquake. Right. Mm-hmm. I believe in a God who's, knowledge and wisdom and creativity are so incredible 
that at the formation of the world, these plates were put at just the right level so that after that many, you know, thousand wow. years down to the day, they would shift the way they needed to to cause mm -hmm. that earthquake. Predestined to crack open yeah. at that moment. Yeah. And that goes to something. Okay. So that's a great point that I want to kind of get to here. Um, I don't know why. I just had this random thought the other day as I was reading through just some other religious texts, you know, about just trying to learn about some other religions. And I just kind of had this realization that, like, and this is kind of what brought up me wanting to come and talk to you about this in the first place because mm -hmm. I had never really given much thought to God in math. But, mm -hmm. like, I had this this moment, this thought of, you know, maybe, like, God's omniscience, God's all-knowingness goes deeper than just, oh, well, he knew your life purpose. It goes deeper than just, oh, well, you know, he created you for a reason or, well, things happen for a reason. It goes deeper all the way back to the formula of creation itself. And you have made an uh, an awesome point. We sat down and talked uh, at your house the other day about this, about how God's flow of time works. And can we just kind of go that way with it? Because I think that kind of talks about what you were just saying yeah. with the, the plates lining up. And that was a... I feel like I should know this by now in my <laughs> spiritual walk, but like it was a a revelation to me just realizing the way God's timing really works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so can we just kind of like yeah, go that absolutely. way for a minute? Uh, so what we were talking about is uh, God's view of time and uh, basically what the future would look like. And uh, we talked about uh, sort of the sci-fi idea that there's like unlimited possibilities of the future and mm -hmm. each each action could create change and Maybe God looks at all those possibilities. And uh, I told Cody, I don't really agree with that because uh, God is above time. Yeah. Uh, time is our uh, fourth dimension, and we are three-dimensional beings. And so we kind of experience the fourth dimension uh, linearly. Yeah. Uh, an example would be like draw a line across like the page ends of a book. And uh, if something was a like a one-dimensional object that just like lived on that uh on that line it would experience that stuff you know one page at a time basically as you as you uh flip it but uh we can look and see that whole line and even beyond that line mm -hmm. uh at, at one time and i think that's how god views time that that he can he just looks and sees the line and so he can see any point on that line or multiple points on that line at the same time, right. uh, all at once. Uh, so it's not that there's a future that he's building to and he's trying to orchestrate things to make sure it works the, you know, we get the right one, the one he wants. Uh, but it's, he knows exactly what's coming and he's getting us ready for it. Yeah. He's, he's planned for it from the beginning in his design and he's filling us in as needed. Mm -hmm. uh, and he knows that the end is going to be uh, the end he wants. Yeah. And that kind of leads into the whole thing of like predestination versus free will mm -hmm. or kind of that whole argument of, well, do you really have a choice? And of course, I think God does give us a choice. Um, but I guess if you were able to sit back and look at everything from his perspective, he can know what choices you're going to make Absolutely. even though you have the freedom to make those Absolutely. choices. Uh, God definitely knows what choices we're going to make. And uh, 
that that brings up a good question of like what counts as free will. If you look at the Old Testament, uh, the Jews definitely have a pretty uh, deterministic view of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jewish idea is kind of if an all-knowing being knew this was going to happen and let it happen, that's kind of like causing it to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's why you can read things in the Bible like he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually, uh, or he caused this storm to come up at just this moment so that they mm-hmm. would win this battle. Uh, you know, usually it's not a supernatural thing God is doing, but that is how they viewed everything. They're basically anything God allowed to happen since he had the power to stop it and the knowledge it was coming and he let it happen anyway. And it's kind of like he caused it. Right. And that's, that's how they, how they wrote the book is right. they, they'll use language that implies that God caused things. And it's not usually God supernaturally intervening. It's God, God's passive allowance is kind of viewed as cause. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, because, I mean, if you think about it, if he is the master mathematician, which mm-hmm. is how you've referred to him to me before, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, his equation would be spot on. Yeah. And so every piece of that equation, every single life that's ever lived, every single tree that's ever planted, every, you know, in Pharaoh's life, mm-hmm. all the circumstances that would have happened, all the little things, the, the rude comments, the little things that would have happened to him or... Uh, the way he viewed the Jews and in, in, in those circumstances would have led to that moment of his heart being hardened. Mm-hmm. And we see it like biblically, you know, when we read it, it's like, oh, well, God hardened his heart. Well, yes, but that started before his conception. That yeah. started at the beginning of time. Absolutely. All these things lined up to Absolutely. do that. And I think a lot of people have this idea uh, that the Garden of Eden was like that mm-hmm. and that the fall changed it. Mm-hmm. God knew the fall was coming. Yeah. Right. I'm... I'm we did add imperfection to this world. Like, I don't want to, you know, pretend that that didn't happen. But but it was already in the equation. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, God knew exactly how long they'd be in the garden before they screwed it up yeah. and what it would do to the world afterwards. And, and you know, his, his equations were balanced to handle it. Yeah. I think that's, that's an interesting thought, too, because um, in... So I'm reading this book on Zoroastrianism right mm-hmm. now, and uh, and they have this belief of... You know, there's a bit of an argument within the religion of, well, did their God, which um, Zoroastrianism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all have an intertwining beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in a way, you could see almost in the same way as like they worship the same God we do, you know, in the beginning of the religion, at least. And uh, they always had this debate of how evil became was it a dualistic or was it you know a a mono was it monotheistic is that sure uh you know uh, origin did a perfect good god create an imperfect being which he knew would betray him and why would a good god create evil and i think a great answer to that is being able to look back and realize that god already orchestrated the perfection that comes through it yeah, and that's the, outcome, the breakthroughs and that's just a interest like i don't know why but like so many of us myself included struggle like well why would god allow sin to happen mm-hmm. and when you look at it in this instance of well if he didn't allow it to happen 
Like we don't understand the outcome and how beautiful the outcome is. And it took creating um, a being which God didn't tell to become evil, but knew the probabilities and what would happen. He knew this, the, he had the, the equation and Mm -hmm. knew what would happen Mm -hmm. and still chose to create it because he knew how beautiful creation would be in the long run. Yeah. And that's such a powerful and bold statement to me. And it gives, go ahead. And beauty is in imperfection. Mm -hmm. You know, things that, that run, uh, just perfectly, uh, go unnoticed. Yeah. Uh, Imagine reading a book where where there was no conflict. Yeah, you know, I mean, be boring. <laughs> that's just, true. It, it, it's just it's the it's the the imperfection that that makes us notice the the beauty. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I think God created imperfect beings uh, for the purpose of making them perfect. Right. You know that that was the idea is that these people will fall, and I will save them, and they will. They will become uh, what they were born to be. Yeah, I think it's interesting how that whole flow of time works in the first place. I think it's interesting how um, God gives us that choice, yet His equation just adds up. And so, in a way, you know, all the the turmoil we go through here on Earth, you know, we see it, and it, you kind of look at like Psalms. You look at David crying out to God, "Please, just." In this tribulation we're in, uh, you know, we can speak firsthand. Anyone can speak firsthand of like when you're going through a season in life where it is just everything is coming against you. You look at God and just say, God, why? Why am I having to go through this right now? But I think it offers really just a newfound hope in me personally with the conversation that we had recently about Mm -hmm. like God's promises are legit because they're already rooted. Yeah, Like that's. They were weaved into the equation mm-hmm. in creation itself. And so everything we go through, yes, we can pray, you know, God, please help us through this situation. And I'd like to touch on that. Like, why do we pray, God, help us? Like, God, please relieve this burden or do this or do that. If his mind is already made up, like, what? how does that balance? Uh-huh. There's a, So there's what I think is the answer most of the time. And then there's kind of the weird exception. Uh, there are actually a couple of times in the Bible where human prayer changes God's mind. Yeah, I was going to ask about And that. that's, uh, you know, particularly, uh, the main, uh, Moses comes to mind where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, God says, get out of the way. I'm going to destroy them all mm-hmm. and start over with you. And he says no and yeah. stands in the way and God relents. And, uh, that's, that's, uh, you know, an interesting parallel uh, an interesting problem when you start talking about uh you know how much free will do we have how much ability do we have to actually change god's god's future uh another one is uh hezekiah god sends the prophet isaiah to tell hezekiah you're gonna die and after isaiah leaves hezekiah prays and asks god to let him live so that he can continue to lead god's people and he was one of the few like holy kings they had mm. after the after the split and uh, God sends Isaiah back to tell him your prayer's been answered and you'll live. And uh, those are interesting cases uh, because I think most people say want to point and say, look, see, God's mind can be changed. It wasn't you know set the whole time. There has to be this choice. And I think actually there are cases that make it more obvious what's happening most of the time. Mm-hmm. 
And that is that the prayer is not for God. The prayer is for us. Mm-hmm. Prayer is us admitting and by, by doing the admitting, reminding ourselves that we don't have the power to do this. Mm-hmm. That that it only works because of him. That that he's he's the one in charge of it all. He wrote the book. Right. He, he made the plan. Uh, if we want it to work right, it's got to be his plan. Right. And uh, I th- I think that's what prayer is all about is humility and submission and just reminder that uh, that we need to be in his will. And, and I think these examples highlight that because when when God sends his prophet to tell you, get your affairs in order, make sure your will's ready, you're going to die. <laughs> it's out of your hands, right. you know? And uh, and the, the understanding that, you know, I, I don't believe that God changed his mind there. I believe God always knew what he was going to do, and he was getting Hezekiah to the point of accepting that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Abraham and Isaac... When, when he tells him to go sacrifice right. his son, you know, the ram's already stuck in the thicket. Yeah. Right. He knew what was going to happen. It was it was building Abraham. Right. Not, uh, not what we think of as a test of, let me see if you can do this. No, God mm-hmm. knows he can do it. Yeah. And Abraham will be better off for having done it. Right. It he is gives, a building of his faith. He gives him the opportunity to grow in yeah. that. Yeah. And it's yeah. really just a piece, just another, you know, mm-hmm. sum in the master mm-hmm. equation. Yeah. And so it's interesting to think, like, in those moments, like we were going back to the, the, um, I guess the uh, demonstration of looking down at the page, God knows at this point he's going to quote unquote change his mind in the <laughs> eyes of his people. Uh-huh. But in reality, it was bringing them to a point of them turning over their free will back to God. Mm-hmm. And so he knew all along it was happening. He just had to allow the people to come to the place yeah. in which uh, that exact thing would occur where yeah. they would turn that free will back yeah. over. And so how does that work with um, the adage, and this may or may not be directly in the Bible the way I'm quoting this here, but uh, basically the idea of, well, if you don't do God's will, he'll find someone else. How does uh, that, you know, I've heard that talk quite sure, a bit. Sure. And, you know, there's that's kind of a conflicting statement. It's like God sitting up there like, oh, well, you're not going to do it. Okay, you over here now, you know, you're the new puppet for this, uh-huh. you know, this project type of thing. Yeah, uh, I think the, the easiest way to see it is with uh, Esther. Mm-hmm. When Esther's trying to decide whether or not to go before the king, what Mordecai tells her, he says, uh, look, whether or not you go, Israel's going to be fine. God's going to save his people. Mm-hmm. He's not going to let this guy destroy his holy nation completely. That's right. not going to happen. Uh, he tells Esther, if you don't do it, you will perish. But uh, but you were put here to do this right now. Mm-hmm. you know. But but he also tells her straight up, it's like, look, we're going to be fine as a nation. Mm-hmm. Right. God's not going to let that happen. And, uh, and so that raises a really important question. That is, what happens if Esther doesn't go? Right. Uh, you know, who did God have as a backup? And uh, I don't think God has a backup because God wrote the equation from the beginning and right. he saw the whole line of time and he knew Esther was going to go. And uh, so there doesn't have to be a backup there because Esther's going to do it. Mm-hmm. And when when there's a person who who doesn't do it, 
there's somebody else in place, and they were always the one who yeah. who was gonna do it. Right. I guess in the same instance of like you know David picking up Saul's mantle type yeah. of thing. You know, there's always that person mm-hmm. who is the underdog and you know quote unquote underdog who God had called all along mm-hmm. to do the work. Absolutely. The uh, and uh, David's a good example because you know David is. What the people liked about Saul was his physical characteristics. Right. He's tall. He's strong. He he looks like a guy who could be a, a king to fight off your enemies. Yeah. And he did that very well for a little while. Uh, but David, a lot of people don't read past David and David's story with Goliath. Mm-hmm. David's the one that actually conquers all of their enemies. He sets right. up their first ever like actual military instead of just farmers who come fight occasionally. And he, he has a whole group of like special forces that do just amazing acts through uh, that are recorded in the Bible. And he destroys the Philistines and the Ammonites and mm-hmm. every group of people that comes against Israel. He, you know, he wipes it out and takes the land of Israel and he doesn't just he's not just the leader that organizes all of this. He's the frontline fighter. Right. When David goes into hiding, when Saul tries to kill him, he goes looking for a sword and the only one they have in the city is Goliath's and he takes it and fights with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because he is big and strong and can use the giant's sword. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know the uh, he he was all the physical things that that they would have liked in a king, and also the one who had a heart like God's, mm-hmm. who uh, you know who who could be the leader, the spiritual leader that Israel needed, and uh, and that's why he was the one God you know raised up to take the role. God always knew that there was going to be Saul, yep. that Israel was going to be ready for a king before. They were actually ready for a king. Mm. And Saul's job is to show them the the importance of waiting on God's timing. Because he looks the part, but he's not the part. Right. You know, and he's he's not the leader that they need. And so he goes, look, I know you guys can't wait this long. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to teach you to wait a little longer next yeah. time. Right. And that can even parallel over into New Testament Saul slash Paul, where, you know, God knew Paul was the person, and he literally took the name and flipped it. You know, it went from being the name, the name means big, strong. You know, Saul literally means big, strong, Mm -hmm. and Paul means little man. And so, like, he literally took the name and flipped it. He took the man that he knew and despite what he thought he was doing, he had that Damascus Road experience and put him on the path. You know, it was all part of the equation that mm-hmm. whatever that light was from heaven was was there on purpose. Yeah. You know, it was all there orchestrated on a, perf- a perfect time. It took, you know, the um, it took the martyrdom of the New Testament church in the hands of Saul mm-hmm. To allow Paul's message to be as bold and as powerful as it is that we live by today. Well, and it starts sooner than that, uh, because it took uh, Saul beginning his persecution to spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's that's you know the first thing Jesus told him: stay in Jerusalem uh, until you get the Holy Spirit. And they did that, 
and they got the Holy Spirit, and they stayed in Jerusalem even after. <laughs> right. You know, for for months, uh, the church is just in Jerusalem, and it's thousands of people. Right. Uh, many of whom aren't native to Jerusalem. Right. And uh, you know this this movement that's that's growing but isn't really sustainable because they have so many members who can't contribute anything they're right. living in each other's houses and selling off property to mm-hmm. to help these people buy food and like you know it's they needed to go home and god's saying i want you to go home and start a church at home right and uh finally we get persecution because you know to force the church to to leave the city and they immediately go to samaria and god does amazing things there and philip you know, meets the man on the on the road back to, uh, back to Egypt, I believe, uh, Africa somewhere, yeah. uh, and you know ministers to him, and there becomes a great move of God in in Africa from right. that. Uh, we get Barnabas and a few others going up to Antioch, where the church is first called Christians, and right. they're all pushed away because of Saul's persecution, mm-hmm. and God says, "You're going to." I, I've raised up the most passionately religious man who's going to follow me as desperately and fully as anyone ever will. And I'm also going to let him be confused for a little while. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do things that he'll regret the rest of his life. But that's what's going to cause my church to spread. Right. Yeah. Those regrets are literally the fuel to keep yeah. him moving forward to do the work he needed mm-hmm. to push through the physical pain, the beating, the stoning, the the lashing, the imprisonment, all of those things. I don't think so. I don't think Paul's paying penance his whole life. Uh, not that he was okay with those things, but I think Paul is a passionate lover of God. Right. And that that is what's driving him. Uh, and and But that was true before. Right. You know, when he's persecuting Christians, it's out of his passion for God. He's just wrong. And and I think, you know, God raised up this super educated, you know, guy. All the apostles don't have any formal education. Uh, they have three years with Jesus, and that's a pretty awesome apprenticeship. Uh, but, but, you know, Paul has just this incredible knowledge of the scriptures, and God's like, I'm going to need somebody like this sure. as part of creating the foundation for my church. And I'm going to use him as the persecutor first to spread the word. And then after my church is spread out, I'm going to bring him into the fold to be my evangelist. Mm -hmm. All of that to say, and I know there's like a lot of like Southern super spiritual people who are probably cringing a little bit at this whole topic because, you know, it, it sounds a little bit too much like why should we have that choice in the first place? Mm -hmm. And, uh, so let's kind of go that way with this. Why, as Christians, do we do what we do if ultimately we don't have the... Like, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you know where I'm going yeah, with this. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I'm going to say the first reason is because I don't want to perish. If right. I go back to the story of Esther, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what he tells her. He right. says, you do what God's called you to do or it's not going to go well for you. Yeah. Right. It, God's plan is going to be fine. You are not big enough to mess yeah. up God's right. plan. Yeah. That's good. Uh, but I want to be a part of it, you know. Uh, and because first of all, I don't want the bad stuff that comes from being out of God's will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but also like 
God's plan rocks. Right. You know, like if you want the the most fulfilling part of life. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Get get involved with what the designer wants to do. You know, he created it all to work. And when it works his way, it's just better than anything you will ever come up with. Mm -hmm. He's smarter than you. He's been doing this longer than you. Yeah. He's already seen the outcome on the other side. It, it'll be better if it's done his way. Yeah. And uh, so, so for for you know both your carrot and your stick, uh, get in line with God's plan for the best outcome. So what about those people who um, choose or who don't choose Christ? Who go through their whole life. Uh, you know, they blatantly, maybe they've even had the opportunity to hear Christ. They've mm-hmm. walked away from God. They never wanted anything to do with them. Um, how does, how does that all line up with, with this whole thing? Were they destined to burn in hell or did they have a choice for salvation? How does that work in this, in this equation? Oh, you're asking questions that are going to get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I think God knew uh, from the beginning that there were people that weren't going to choose him. Yeah. And uh, I think that his plan accounted for that. The contrast between those who choose him and those who who don't uh, shows, shows the beauty of the right choice. You know, kind of like what we were talking about earlier with uh, with imperfection being the thing that let us recognize beauty. Uh, it's, it's when you compare the life that followed God's will to the one that, that's not, that you see the joy and the peace and the, the you know, love and that comes with being with God. And... Uh, so I, I think I think the beauty of this world and and the beauty of the next too, uh, are are magnified because not everybody has it. Right. And uh, uh, I I I think God created it that way. You know, He created us with choice, knowing some wouldn't choose to to show why His choice was was the best choice and ultimately i guess you know it's kind of like the idea of having kids in in essence like in our okay in our feeble Mm -hmm. you know not understanding to his extent when you have kids you understand that they're going to make choices that that they're going to regret every person has choices in their life things that they wish they wouldn't have done things that they did wrong yeah and in god's original plan it takes that to have the beauty of creation mm-hmm. and it to play out the way it, it happened. And I mean, I, I personally believe that God has already mourned the, you know, is mourning currently, whatever, however that works, those losses, but that's still their choice. Ultimately he gave yeah. them the free will. He's just the master mathematician in the, in, in the essence that he knew upon creation that those people were going to sadly yeah. make the wrong choice and that's why you know if you follow through um 
you know, in time events, things like that, you know, there is that option. There is a second chance at redemption. There's always that last moment thing mm-hmm. where people can have that chance. Um, and, and there are people that believe that that goes all the way to the end. Uh, you know, we can, I'm, I'm going to, you, you talked about, you know, making mad some, some hyper spiritual people. Uh, there was a, there was a book by a guy named Rob Bell. Oh man, that's the second time his name's been mentioned on yep. this podcast. Oh, crap. He's an interesting fellow, and I don't necessarily know that I agree with his idea, uh, but uh, a big part of his premise was he believes that even hell itself is kind of a temporary place. Right. Uh, and his idea is that, and he's not wrong about this, everywhere in the Bible that we see God's judgment, the purpose for the judgment is re- to bring about repentance. Right. That is always why God brings about brings in judgment is to bring repentance and so his idea is that that all the way to the end hell is that that it is a judgment that brings about repentance so that those people can can you know come into heaven and i'm not saying he's right but but it's it's not the wildest idea anybody's ever had either uh and uh i think i think it is important that 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 you know, we, we recognize that what God wants is for for all of his to, to come home. Right. You know, and what that what that means will depend on who you ask. Right. But uh, but but that is the plan. And for whatever definition you take of all of his, uh, whether it means the elect or all who choose him or for Rabel, all people, mm-hmm. God's going to get his way. Right. <laughs> they are all going to come home. Mm-hmm. It's what. It's just what do we mean when we say all of God's people? Right. And I guess that leads us to the question of like, you know, the Great Commission itself, you know, mm-hmm. go and, and preach and share the gospel. Yeah. You know, go to all nations, go to all corners and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So why... And I'm going to kind of answer my own question here and then kind of like, sure. you know, open it up. But, you know, why do we minister? Well, you know, one of my best friends grew up very traditional conservative Baptist and I was more, you know, AG Pentecostal type. And, you know, so that's like the big things. There's predestination versus free will. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the big debate. And uh, he and I were sitting there one day and we just kind of both come to the realization of whether God knew what or whether God knows every single plan um, and he's already predestined those people to heaven, or he has uh, given us the free will to try to go and convert and and bring people closer to him. I don't like the word convert, but to bring people into you know disciple. Yes, to bring people into um, into his yeah his you know acceptance basically. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter because to us here on earth we operate on this one linear path, yeah. and that's what he told us to do, whether he's orchestrated or not. That's our job, and mm-hmm. if we don't do that, we're not fulfilling. Or absolutely, yeah. I mean, in uh, a way, like if we don't do that, then you know that's part of the equation mm-hmm. is us doing that very mm-hmm. thing, whether he's orchestrated or not, and he knows which ones will and won't. Yeah. That doesn't mean he's happy about the way. You know, certain parts of the equation take a little more work than others. Absolutely. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day that that asked me, you know, a very question. That very question was like. They said the thing that makes them uncomfortable about Calvinism is uh, what it does to the Great Commission. And uh, 
for people that have studied Calvinism, that question is just insane. Uh, you know, most of the great evangelists of history were, were Calvinists. Uh, Calvinists have always been pro-Great Commission. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's not part of the equation for them. And uh, and the the reason is, like like, like you said, it's because God told us to go. Right. You know, uh, so, so we go, both for, for, again, like we said earlier, for carrot and stick reasons. We go do what God told us to do. Right. Um, I don't believe that my inaction will keep anyone from heaven. Right. I think God's going to get his. Mm-hmm. Whether it's me or somebody else, God's going to get his. Uh, I do believe there are personal consequences for not accepting God's call. Uh, whether that just means rewards in heaven or whether it means being on the wrong side of the sheep and the goats mm-hmm. or whether it just means not enjoying the full experience that God has for me here on this earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do believe that, that, that there are personal consequences for not accepting the call. Uh, I think that it's interesting too, because we're talking a lot about like theology and get really mm-hmm. deep into some of that stuff. But I think just to back it up and kind of like broad stroke this whole conversation, uh, I think the whole point of this is to offer a beauty and a comfort realizing that God's got us. Yeah. He's got us and that we are walking in his calling and his purpose and so long as we're doing that, he's got us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everything is orchestrated for the good of those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. There you go. And and so we can get caught up in the schematics, but ultimately, we were told to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were told to follow Christ. And if we're doing those two things, his will is going to be done mm-hmm. one way or another. And we are... Playing, it's kind of like an ensemble. We're playing our part in the ensemble. Yeah. To bring yeah, the, we're doing our job. Yeah, to bring the beauty of the full piece of music together. That's right. And I think that we can get caught up in the details. And it's fun to get caught up in the details. Mm-hmm. It really is. But I think some of this stuff is just so far outside of, you know, even our understanding because God views things on such a deeper plane than we can process. Yes. You know, you brought up David right at the beginning and how much of David's life was spent, uh, you know, running and being confused, you know, when especially as a, as a young man, uh, trying to figure out what to do. God had anointed him king of Israel, and he had been nothing but faithful to that call and mm-hmm. loyal as a soldier, and he's hiding in caves uh, with a a band of thieves he put together while his father-in-law, the king is trying to kill him. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he's, he wrote so many beautiful Psalms and a lot of them follow the same formula where they start out with God, where are you? What's going on? Why are all of my enemies, you know, closing in and end with, I will praise you. I will trust you. Whatever happens, you've got me. Yeah. That's that's the formula for for just, just a ton of the psalms, and uh, it worked out for David. He he became king. He defeated all of his enemies. He you know he pushed Israel to to greater heights than it had ever been before. Yeah, and 
the Psalms he wrote in that time have been inspirational and, and, you know, powerful and God has used them to minister to billions of people throughout, throughout time, you know, and, you know, David had to go through those things so that he could become who he needed to be, but also so that he could write those things and that we could read them and be encouraged in our hard time. And God says, you're going through this so that the, all the people who read my book will be able to go through their thing. Yeah. Some of the greatest songs in history have been wrote out of some of the worst turmoil all the way back to David himself. Absolutely. So, so you could say like, that's why bad things happen to good people because God is going to use your testimony to help other people in their struggles. Absolutely. Because I know people ask that all the time, like, why would God allow this? Well, because God knew the outcome Mm -hmm. of what was going to happen through this. Like, you don't understand that when you're going through it, but... After it's all said and done, in hindsight, you're like, oh, yeah, that's why mm-hmm. this happened. Like, I'm a stronger person for this, and I can help other people be mm-hmm. stronger people in this, too. Absolutely. Not to say, like, and just to kind of sum that little bit up here, not to say, like, God killed my mom. You know, my mom's, you know, she had illnesses and other things that, that mm-hmm. took her life. But God knew the outcome of what was going to happen there. And God knew that it would be a testimony for me to share with other people who have went through that, you know. And so, like, it's not that God is over here like, I'm going to inflict disease on you or something like that. I think it's just sometimes you have to work through the hard part of the equation to yeah. get the solution. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's semantics there. You know, uh, the Bible says that, that God sent an evil spirit to torture Saul so that they would get David to come play right. the heart for him. and. What exactly that means, we kind of talked about earlier, you know, that idea that if you're all-knowing and, uh, and all-powerful all and you let something happen, you know, what is, how much is that the same as just causing it to happen? I think, I think the important thing, like you said before, is, is to know that, that uh, when it happens, it's part of the plan. Right. It can surprise us, but it's not going to surprise him. It's part of the plan. You're already the person you needed to be to deal with that. And you will be a better person for having dealt with that. And that was the plan. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Well, thank you very much for joining us and going very deep down that rabbit hole. And guys, don't get super spiritual about stuff. Seriously, we're called. We know what our calling is, the rest of its schematics. So let's go out there and do God's work. And uh, yeah. With that, guys, you know where to find us. We have a Facebook community. We'd love for you to join up with us. Um, Tristan, are you in our Facebook community? Yes. Yes. So if you want to ask Tristan questions, come join our Facebook community. Let's have a conversation because that's what we want to do is Absolutely. have conversations. I love having deep conversations on Facebook. Yes. He's really good at it, though. I'm just warning you. <laughs> so um, with that, guys, uh, you know where to find us. And be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll talk soon.